Do you reckon Acts 2 would have been pretty weird? Tongues of fire on people's heads. I reckon that would have been pretty strange. Somehow Peter knew it was God. He had a bit of a heads up from Jesus. But they didn't know when he was going to come with power. And they had no idea how. Four hundred years there's silence and then all of a sudden there's this Jewish rabbi who they know, who they've played sport with, who they've knocked around the streets of Jerusalem with, who they've, you know, Nazareth with, who they've spent time with, and all of a sudden he's like, I am and he walks into a synagogue and he reads Isaiah sixty one and they're like it says they're amazed at the grace-filled words that came out of his mouth. And it says, and they marveled, and then they went into unbelief. Because they got so familiar with, they were like, hang on, we know this. This is my mate, Jesus, who I beat at soccer last week. I don't know if they were playing soccer, but anyway. <laughs> Probably, not. Probably not. No, it was definitely, it was definitely soccer. Um, Something inside of humanity yearns for the voice of the Father and our spirits often recognise it, but our mind is catching up. Yeah? And we've got to be careful that we don't, we don't let our minds go past what the Spirit of God's doing. I'd rather wait for the Spirit and come into alignment with that, then jump ahead of God. <laughs> Does that make sense? And I feel like we're in a, we're just a little bit of that tonight. Maybe just we're, some of us are maybe just ahead of God and he just wants to bring us back to, I don't know, I don't have language for it right now, but I can feel it in the spirit that it's, it's just like, let's not rush what God wants to do. Let's not preempt what he wants to do. Let's not put something on you know we had an awesome morning this morning and it was incredible and then the tendency can be to it's going to be exactly the same it's i I want the same feeling i want the same emotion i want the same thing that happened this morning or or last week or back when or whatever and the, the the not the trick but the thing is that we need to be aware of he's a person he's a person to be encountered, to be known, to to move with, to that we don't run ahead of ahead of him. Do you reckon Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, and God walked side by side, or do you reckon it was a dance, or when Adam walked in the cool of the day with God? Like, do you reckon it? I'm provoking you for a reason. <laughs> but it, it's, how did they, like, what, what did that look like? The Ruach of God, the breath of God walked, sorry, God walked in the Ruach of the day with Adam. That's flipping awesome. Was it like this? <laughs> how was it, Eddie? What do you reckon? Huh? Piggyback. Piggyback. 
All right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't expect you to have the answer. I don't have the answer either. I'm just, I'm just getting you to think. So Adam walked in the cool of the day. Listen, listen to this. Mark 11, 11. I want to show you something. I was going to kind of go down a different line, but I, let's, let's just go here. This is Jesus. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around, Mark eleven eleven, when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Okay? So he comes into the temple, has a look around, it's late, and so he leaves. Yeah? Right? Very strange. Imagine Jesus popping his head in the back. Has a look around. I'm out of here. Right? It's late. I need to have a KFC or something. Um, you guys, on the following day, <laughs> you can laugh, it's loud. <laughs> On the following day, when they came from... Best, this is verse 12. On the following day, so this is the next day. So they've had a nap, they've slept, they woke up. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, So a fig, or some translation says it only had leaves on it, it was bearing no fruit. He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Right? For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Uh, we have a friend of ours. He experimented with this. Now, some people don't like that. But he was learning about the power of life and death and the power of his tongue. And that he was, he, he was pondering this verse. And so he went past his, he had a pot plant, and he went past his tree, and God said, I want you to curse it. He was like, why? This was outside his house. And so he cursed the tree, and the tree, within a week, withered and died. And he says, now I want you to bring it back to life. And God was like, he was like he, he, what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, I want you to speak to the, speak to the tree and bring it back to life. So he declared life over the tree. And within, well, I think it was within a day or two, that tree came back to life and it started to blossom again. God says, all right, I want you to curse it. He's like, what's going on, God? And he cursed it. And then he said, all right, I want you to bring it back to life. The second time that he brought it back to life, it bloomed all year round. And it was a seasonal tree. Why? Because in that realm... There's fruit all year round. The sun's out in that realm all year round. Never again will we need the nightlight. Come on. That's not my point, but then he goes on. I'm going to, get, I'm going to explain what the fig tree is in a moment. But then, and then he came to Jerusalem, verse 15, and he entered the temple and began... To, so this is now he's going in again. He's gone to the temple, had a look around, perceived that it was late, goes out, curses the fig tree, right? And then he comes to Jerusalem and entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he 
and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out to the city. The story is that they would, they would bring pigeons and goats and sheep and they would bring them as, and they would be tarnished sheep, right? And they would beautify them and make them look pretty and sell them because it was a way of getting a, a self-righteousness and they would trade and sell these tarnished sheep that they would then make look good on the outside. It's not like Jesus is like, hey, you're selling some vegetables and I'm against that. That's not what he's talking about, right? Many people have said, you know, in church life when people, you know, are you, you know, you're charged for a course or you did this. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about you are making it really hard for people to enter into salvation because you're, you're doing self-righteousness and that I'm against, and I will violently come against that. I'll flip tables. I'll whack chairs. I'll turn over the money things because you've made my house a den of robbers, not a house of prayer for the nations to come to. Amen? That's what he's talking about. And the fig tree, he curses the fig tree because it's a picture of Jerusalem. It's a picture of Israel, sorry. It's a picture of Israel and the law that he says, never again will you bear fruit. It was a tree that had leaves on it, but no fruit. Come on. He says, never again will you bear fruit. Why? Because never again will self-righteousness satisfy. It will only be the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. Come on. Right? Never again will self-righteousness satisfy. Never again. And he's violently, Jesus is violently against that. You've made it hard for people to come. This is what he's saying to the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. He's like, you have made it hard for people to come to God because it's, it's about, oh, here's my sacrifice of a pigeon. And I've made it look beautiful on the outside. You whitewashed tombs, he ends up calling them. That's pretty hectic language, Right? Jesus will violently attack anything that keeps his children away from the Father. He will tear down that thing that is keeping his kids away from an encounter with the Father. Come on. He will violently go after it. Righteousness... Righteousness is the doorway into intimacy with God. Yeah? Righteousness, right, all righteousness does for the kingdom of God is what? Not meat or drink, but? Come on. Righteousness, peace, and joy. 
So the kingdom of God that's in the Holy Spirit is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Ghost, right? So it's in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God, the righteousness, all it is, not all it is, it's incredible, right? You have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because Jesus says, right, I'm the perfect sacrifice. I am a lamb that's not blemished. And I'm not blemished on the outside. I'm perfect, I'm perfect on the inside. I don't just look the part. I am fully holy and righteous. There is not one ounce of sin inside of me. So he becomes sin. And, then, and he becomes sin. We know this. He became sin. And God, God judged sin in, Christ, in Jesus. Come on. He judged sin, right? So he wasn't smiting Jesus. He was judging sin. Jesus became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So here we have the, the, the spotless lamb goes to the cross. Beautiful sacrifice, right? And he resurrects. And then you and I, from that day forth, have access, every single person has access to enter into the kingdom of God and a relationship with God to walk in the cool of the day with their father. Amen. Right? Come on. So then we're not coming, we're not coming to, to Jesus with our... There's nothing we can bring to him that will to make us more righteous. <laughs> right? And so I really believe the Lord, prophetically, is cleansing the temple right now in our world. He's tearing down things that have kept people from God. Now, you might be like, well, what could keep someone from God? Like, it's God. How could God be put, you know? But he's a father who wants relationship. He doesn't want religious rhetoric he wants intimacy with his bride he wants the bride to actually know when he walks into a room he wants the bride to know that's the spirit of god i can feel him i can sense him i know oh that's that's who he is that's the acts too that's why i asked that question peter would something inside of peter went this feels familiar the pharisees of the day missed the revival that came in the form of a Jewish rabbi at 30 years of age because they were so familiar, they thought, we know this guy. That should scare you enough to have a holy reverence and fear that when the Spirit of God comes, it, what I believe prophetically is happening right now around the world, in our nation, in our churches, what's happening right now, we should be so in a healthy awe and fear to say, God, if you're blowing and you're moving and you're ministering and you're cleansing house and you're turning over tables of people's hearts and you're turning over the, the, the idols and things right now in the church and you're blowing up the church in a good way, right? <laughs> we should be like, yes, please. Because that... that is aimed at our benefit. Come on. 
Are you with me? Yeah. Maybe don't use the word blow up too, too often. <laughs> there was a group at, <laughs> you heard this story? There was a group at Bethel that they, they, we weren't allowed, they went on a missions trip to, I think it was France, and as they went in, they said, uh, what are you doing here? And they're like, we're here to blow up things for God. And <laughs> they got sent straight home. Anyway, just a... <laughs> Ugh, wrong language. <laughs> they're like, oh no, we didn't mean it like that. And they're like, too bad. Back you go to where you came from. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, turn with me to Ephesians 3. Go to Ephesians 3. If I... Imagine, let's just imagine this. If I stand on my, on my I have, we had a great wedding. We had a great wedding day. It was awesome. Probably 130 people there. And, um, you know, we celebrated. We danced. We, you know, kissed. We did the cake. We did all the, you know, all the wedding stuff. Did the exchange of vows, the rings. All was an awesome day. Fun day. Family, friends. Shen's like, woo, it's great. And then... We got home, or back to the you know, cottage, whatever, wherever, and I just stood at the doorway, or Shen just stood at the doorway, and we said, how amazing is this that we're married? Gosh, isn't it good? Isn't it incredible? We're married. We've got a covenant that says we're married. I have it in writing that says we're married. And how amazing is it? It's awesome. And then I live my life and Shen lives her life. And I go, oh yeah, but, but every Sunday I hear someone else talk about how good this marriage is with Jesus. And I just stand at the door. But I've got a contract. I've got a contract that says we're married. So we're married. No. You go into the bedroom and you become intimate. And you yada, you know the intimacy with your spouse at a deeper level. The same way with God. Come on. It's not just enough to stand at the doorway and say, well, Galatians, Romans, I know all these scriptures. I'm free. Christ set me free. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. And now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's true. But that's the doorway into the bedroom to become intimate with the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to stand at the door. Jesus is tricky like that, eh, Jesus? <laughs> Any, anyone seen Hunt for the Wilder people? Anyway, sorry. My own brain's going on a ramble. Oh, cut that out of the podcast. Anyway. If you, if you don't have the hinges of righteousness, then you just have a wall. They open the doorway up for us to go to become intimate, to know. Uh, to me, one of the best books I've ever written, I don't care what you think about Benny Hinn, Holy, Good Morning Holy Spirit is awesome. I don't care. That man, I, tell you, I just want to say this right now. That man has repented of some things recently in the last few years 
because he, he made an idol. God cleansed the temple in his life and he repented and came back and said, it's all about intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's waking up in the morning. It's reading this and believing it. It's knowing the pr- way that he moves, the way that he operates, the, ro- the way that he flows. It's, it's I'm walking with the step and I have the cadence that he moves, we get to move. You don't know that by just standing at the edge of something and saying, yay, I want revival or yay, I want this. You have, it's got to be cultivated in your personal life with the Lord. Because the depth that he wants to do in our life, God's such a, he's such a good father, he's, such, he's so good that he won't put the weight of the spirit on a people that will kill him. He's so kind that he will withhold his glory because he's like, if I poured out my spirit in this place right now, it would destroy them. And so he, he often just drip feeds until they're ready. And I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on. Right? I want him to walk into the temple and not flip the tables in a way. And he, I want him to walk into the temple and say, there's a people that my presence can be poured out on, that I can rest in, that I can reside in, that I can inhabit the praises of my people. I know theologically everyone says, oh, he's in us and he never leaves us. I know that, but he's not a contract. He's a person. I love you. All right, Ephesians 3. Are you there? For this reason, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Wow. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, hang on, isn't he already in there? Yeah, he is. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend, or the word is actually apprehend. So you may have strength to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. How do you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowing? You experience him. You encounter him. When when God wanted to knock the greatest theologian off his horse, he didn't do it through a debate. He did it through an encounter. I'm talking about Paul, in case you haven't got that one. Yeah, cool. Just checking. Donkey. 
that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowing. So that means we have to give up our right to understanding every little thing. We have to give up the right to understand I don't fully get why you move the way that you move, but I know that's you. We have to give up the right to, to try and put God in this little thing of like, oh, well, he wouldn't do it like that. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't, he wouldn't make people do what they did at Toronto. That's not how he would do it. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't make people shake or he wouldn't do this or he wouldn't. Well, he put fire on people's heads. Like, that's weird. We have to give up the right to understand. And I'm not saying it has to be weird in order to be God. But sometimes he just does things outside of our little minds to know will we trust his spirit and will we walk in that direction with him? Will we dance with the dance that he's dancing or will we stand back from a distance and say, oh, well, that probably sh that's probably not God because God wouldn't do that. Come on. I, re <laughs> I remember um, 2008 had a radical encounter, five-hour encounter on the floor, and I, I just woke up from that encounter, and I, I, just, I just kept praying, and I, I just got hungry for God, because I, I, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And I just got so hungry for his presence, so hungry for things that I, I just do anything. <laughs> you know, I, I remember, I remember, I love, I love what Bill Johnson says. You know, he says uh, when he was at Toronto, he said there could have been an altar call for pregnant black people. I would have been up the front, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, for, you know, pregnant women. He's like, and that, that's how I felt. I was like, man, I just want to, I just want the presence of God. I want to understand, I want to know him. I don't need to understand him, but I want to know his ways. I want to walk in his ways. And I said, God, when I get to heaven one day, I don't want to be shocked. I don't want to be shocked one day when I get to heaven and go, oh, I could have had all of that, all of you consumed by all of me. This is what I had. This is what I could have, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth. I could have known the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. But I didn't because I, was, I, I didn't enter into the bedroom of intimacy with you. Because I was maybe too concerned with what people thought. or Whatever, you put your own thing in there. Like whatever it is that keeps you at a distance from God. Right? And so I just, I just got hungry. And, and so we just start, we started. We, the first thing that I, I wanted to do was I, I had this insatiable hunger to see sick people healed. I don't know where it, I mean I knew it came from the Lord. But I just, I had this, ins I was like I want to see the sick healed. So I was like I don't know anyone that's seen the sick healed. I knew no one. So I remember a, a friend of mine, he's, he said, um, oh, you've got to meet this guy, Nathan Winterbine. Does anyone know Nathan Winterbine? No? Anyway, he's, he was a friend of mine and, and, and a friend of a friend's. They said, you've got to go see Nathan Winterbine and his wife, Sarah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go and see these guys. We'd never met them. We didn't know them. 
They had a prayer room. I didn't, these, this was like 2008, right? So this, and I didn't grow up in the church. So I had no grid for this. They're like, oh, we have a room dedicated to God where we just go in. We don't want to know anything about you. We're just going to pray and we're going to prophesy over you. I'm like, oh, I like these people. This is awesome. Right? I'm like, can you do that? Is that allowed? And they're like, yep, this is what we're going to do. Come in the prayer. And so they prayed, prophesied over Shen and I for like two hours, just read our mail, download. And then they just started to tell us stories. They said, oh, yeah, we traveled to Reading back in 2002. And uh, when we arrived, our suitcase was full of uh, angel feathers. I was like, what? Is that allowed? Can you, is that possible? They're like, yep. And I was like, oh, have you seen any sick people healed? And he's like, no, but I have on YouTube. And so he said, I go up to people on the streets and they've got a broken leg. And I'm like, can I pray for you? I've seen people healed. And I'm like... Well, you're kind of not lying, are you? You've seen him healed on YouTube. And he's like, I just would feed my spirit and my soul until the testimony became my reality. Right? And I was like, all right, I'm doing that. So I just watch YouTube. People getting healed. I just find someone. I'm like, oh, there's someone getting healed. I was like, all right, I've seen some people get healed. I need to go find some sick people. There's sick people at Marunda Hospital. Let's just go down to Marunda Hospital. So I stood outside Marunda Hospital for a, a couple of hours. After about, I don't know, two or three hours, they kicked me out. They're like, you're not allowed to stand out here and pray for the sick. And I was like, all right. So I'll go, go somewhere else. So I go to Eastland. I'd walk past like wheelchairs and all just people all the time. And I'm like, God, I want to see the sick healed. I want to see the sick healed. And then little by little, we started to see the sick healed. We started to see a woman, a woman from South Africa got out of, out of uh, she was in crutches. She got off her crutches. And, uh, and then I was like, well, that's it. I've seen, we've, um, we're, it's begun, right? We've got revival, <laughs> you know? And then we started to equip our, the youth. And so we had a youth group of about 25 people. And we'd bring all these other youth from different youth groups, Eastside, Doncaster City Church, Maroondah, all these other churches in the region. And we'd do these revival nights, about 200 youth kids would come and then we'd send them out in the streets to go and heal the sick. And, right? and, just, and some awesome fruit has come out of, some awesome people have come out of that ministry. And, and we just, God, I was just hungry. I was just, I was reading, I, was re- I read, I reckon I read the book of Romans about a thousand times because I'm like, I want to know this for me. I don't want to just hear it from someone. I don't want to just hear this from, you know, someone else. I want this to become the food that I eat. And I'm not just taking a little nibble from, of a, from a crumb from someone else. I wanted my own food. Right, and so I'd be plowing and I'm in the word and I'm in the spirit, I'm praying and I'd be praying day in, day out, every morning. I'm like, show me. And for nine months, has anyone had the, you need to do the egg thing on your head where it trickles down and ooh, it feels really nice? Uh, that happened in Eastland. I was walking around Eastland, that's just where I hung out. And um, <laughs> I was walking around Eastland and that happened for nine months, nonstop, shower, bathroom, toilet, Close to the throne, bedroom, wherever, right? That just happened. Some of you missed that. Anyway, um, (laughs) and I was like, God, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm showing you my presence. I'm showing you my presence. And then one day it left and I'm like, did I sin? And he's like, no, I'm always with you, but I want you to know how I move, how I operate, what the things that I do. It's not about the feeling, right? But it's about Jesus perceived things. Yeah, 
And God was beginning to show, and there's other stuff which I've never shared and, and maybe I never will, but there's other things that he did in that season, in that time. We, start, we saw oil come down our wall. We saw gold dust fall in our room. I didn't know these things were a thing. So don't say like, oh, you just, are these signs just followed us? Right? We would, I, was just, I was telling friends and they're like, oh, you've got to be careful of that. You, gotta, you, know, you don't, don't want to worship gold dust. I'm like, you're an idiot. I'm not worshipping gold dust. This is flipping amazing. This is, my mind is blown. I'm not sitting there worshipping little gold flakes. I'm like in awe and wonder of this king of glory. Come on. Right? Because it's, the, it's, the, it's giving up the right to understand this is how he has to move. And, but we were doing all these things. We were running camps. We were seeing people healed. We were people, seeing people saved. We were seeing people baptized. And I remember I was like, man, God's really moving in Melbourne. And I get this little knock in my spirit. And God, I'm like, yeah, yeah, what is it? And, and we're running from meeting to meeting and things to things are happening. And I get this little knock in my spirit. And, and I'm like, oh, is that you, Holy Spirit? And he says, yeah. He says, geez, I miss you. And I was like, what do you mean? We're doing awesome stuff. And he goes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the gifts and callings of God are, are irrevocable. And it's awesome what's going on. But man, I miss you. And I realized I had to repent. And for probably two or three years, I didn't share a testimony. And we were seeing awesome stuff happen on the streets. We were seeing people saved. See, incredible! I could tell you story after story. And so, for two years, two or three years, I'd never shared a testimony publicly, because I I I was fearful of of it becoming about me. And I held that intention, and I was like, God, I don't want this ever to be about how amazing my ministry is. And he just destroyed that tree in one foul swoop. He just cut it down because I had. I'd let it become about the next miracle, about the next notch in my belt, about the next thing. And I had to repent of that. He flipped the table in that in my life. To where I was like, God, may it never, ever be about anything other than you. Now, there's a false humility that's not right either where we put ourselves down so that God will be glorified. That's stupid. Don't do that. He paid, he paid blood to get you and the authentic you back. Don't say you're not worth that blood. You were worth the blood. Right? That's false humility. Okay? I miss you. And I realised in that moment That if it doesn't start in intimacy and it doesn't finish in intimacy, it will become performance. I haven't, I have this thing with Alira where I'll just be like, hey, I love you. And she says, I love you more. And then I'm like, I've got a bigger heart. And she's like, no, nah, but I've still got a heart and I love you more. And it just goes back and forth. 
And I've, I've never heard her say in seven and a half, nearly eight years, I've never heard her say once, geez, Dad, I'm sick of you saying you love me. I'm tired of it. I'm over it. Could you stop it? I know contractually you love me. You're my dad. She never says that. She loves it. Every time I say I love you, every time she says it back, I love it. Because it's not about what she's doing for me, it's about the intimate relationship that we have as a father and a daughter. It's about the intimacy, it's about that actually knowing you, I know you and you know me, you know the sound of my voice. Our kids, I can walk over there like, Dad's home. They know. Come on. Do we know Jesus in this way? John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they may yada or know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Jesus. <laughs> I really believe we are, I believe we're experiencing uh, something. I believe we're experiencing something in, the, in our midst here other places. I just want the landing strip of our hearts to be so pure and so ready and ripe that his presence can come and never leave. Gosh, I'm hung. I just, I'm, I, I, and I think the only way that I personally know is, is two ways, I think, that I can find in Scripture for, for stewarding what God's doing is to get hungry. Is to just get hungry for the things of God. Those that hunger and thirst shall be satisfied. But then the other way is through, the, through intimacy with his presence. Because when we're intimate with him in that way, it never will become about us. It'll always be about the simplicity of Christ and him crucified. It'll always be the simplicity about I'm pointing people to Jesus. Now I invite all of his distractions. <laughs> I want all of the distractions that God wants to throw at me, I'll invite them. But the point of the distractions you know what I mean by that? The signs, the wonders, the miracles. I, will, I want them all. I want as much as him as I can on earth while I'm running. I'm running after the fullness of God. Because that's what that verse says at the end. If, if, you, you know the, if you know the love of Christ, it surpasses understanding so that you be filled to the fullness of God in Christ Jesus, right? So I invite all of the things. I want all the gifts flowing through the body of Christ. I want them all, Right? If we remain intimate, then it will never become about the gifts. It will always become about him. 
I don't stop at the sign of Mount Evelyn and say, I've arrived. The sign points to something greater. Why don't you stand? Excuse me. I think sometimes we have to move beyond our comfort zone <laughs> to break the to break the rhythm or I, I can't I'm not blah. I, I feel like sometimes we have to move past our comfortability. We have to be willing to give up our right to understand, to give up our right to Say, God, well, I'll allow, I'll allow you to move in this way, but please don't make me, please don't do this in my life. And he's kind, he's kind Father, so he'll meet us where we're at a lot of the times. But I don't ever want to put a demand on him to, to say, this is how you have to come. I'd, be, I'd rather just say, hey, God, I'm willing to give up my right to understand how you want to move. I don't fully understand it, but I recognize that this is the presence of God. And if I've just been honest right now, the church in Australia has squashed the Holy Spirit. That's not a prophetic word. It's not so much as a rebuke as an obvious statement. We've shut down the Spirit of God because of fear. And often fear... Often, comfortability or control is fear masquerading as wisdom. Control is fear, and we call it wisdom. It's like, oh, we don't want it to, we don't want that. And we say, oh, it's because people won't, you know, they'll feel uncomfortable. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, don't flip the tables, Jesus. <laughs> don't curse the fig tree. Please don't walk on water. <laughs> Please don't. Like, this is uncomfortable. Well, I invite all the uncomfortableness of God. I know that's a bold prayer. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just hungry. I just say, God, you come and I invite all of who you are to come into this temple. This temple and this temple. We want you, Lord. We long to know you. We long to know your heart. We long to know how you move. We long to be in tune with your spirit. God, I just repent right now on behalf of the church in our nation and in this region, Lord, that have squashed the move of God. And I just, I invite you to come and flip our tables. I invite you to come and just blow our boxes. I invite you to come and surpass our understanding. 
I invite you to come and fill us to the fullness of God. And I feel that tonight. There are people that the Lord is saying, I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. Oh yeah, but God, I went to church on Sunday. Great. I miss you. Not against going to church. I lead one. (laughs) I miss you. I miss you. I miss your heart. I miss who you are. I want to be. Oh, but God knows me. He knows the hair on my head. He knows everything about me. Yes, but he wants to know you intimately. He wants to have a two-way relationship with you in such a way that this thing called revival, this thing called a move of God, this thing that he would go, oh, there's a generation, there's a people that would just hunger and thirst after me. They're not hungering and thirsting, thirsting after a ministry. They're not hungering and thirsting after a platform. They're not hungering and thirsting after a really nice worship set. They're not hungering and thirsting about the next revelation. They're not hungering and thirsting after the next miracle. They're hungering and thirsting, because you'll get, trust me, You might get those things if you hunger and thirst for them. But if you hunger and thirst for Jesus, you'll get Jesus plus that. 